0: Every human being is born selfish and spends the rest of their life struggling against that nature, learning to become selfless. How is your struggle going? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, to help you focus less on having your way and more on loving God's way. Here's David with today's message, Love's Power Over Selfishness. And thank you so much for joining us today. Uh,
1: If you have our study guide on this series, one of the things that introduces this lesson in the study guide is the statement that the fact there is a magazine in our culture entitled Self, but not Selfless or Others, tells you something about the priorities of today. There actually is a magazine. I've seen it. How to make yourself everything. And most people don't need a magazine to do that. Have you discovered that? Most people are kind of... uh, created with that bent in their life. And the Bible tells us that when we have God's love in our hearts, we don't become all about ourself. I mentioned this earlier in the series. I want to go back to it because I think it's an important point. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He answered it with two commandments. He said, the first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, and your neighbors you should love as yourselves. In other words, the first priority of a believer is to love the people that God has put around them in the world where they exist. And we can do that. And when we do that, we end up getting away from being all about us and and I instead of we. I don't want to start preaching, but I just thought I'd let you know that's where we're headed with this lesson today in this series called The Power of Love. Friends, um, we're going to be in North Charleston Coliseum here in just a few days. Uh, As I record this, we're closer to the event uh, than we should be to be inviting you because I hope there's still room. Last I looked, this event was getting close to being sold out. But if you want to come, you should check. You should try to come if you can. It's at the uh, North Charleston Coliseum, October 6th and 7th. I'll be there Friday night and Saturday morning for two sessions, and we're sure looking forward to seeing you. If you're coming, and if you haven't already made your reservation, at least check it out. I hope you'll do that. Right now, we need to get started with part one of this new study. This is Love's Power Over Selfishness.
2: I understand that there is an inscription on a small tombstone in an English village that reads like this Here lies a miser who lived for himself He cared for nothing but gathering wealth Now where he is or how he fares nobody knows and nobody cares I suppose that is as carefully presented illustration of what happens to self-centered people as anything I have ever read. With perhaps the illustration about a woman to whom W.A. Criswell had gone for a visit who was a complaining, bitter, self-centered woman who refused to receive the gospel and died. And when she died, the local funeral director called Dr. Criswell and asked that he would come and do the service. And he said, when I got there, I found out that I was the only other person there except the corpse and I had a funeral service that no one attended. He went on to say in his commentary on the book of Galatians that it illustrated to him the strangulation of selfishness in the life of a person. I suppose in contrast to that is a plain tombstone in the courtyard at St. Paul's Cathedral in London which reads like this, Sacred to the memory of General Charles George Gordon, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, and his sympathy to the suffering, and his heart to God. There are two ways to live in life. One is the selfless way, and the other is the selfish way. And lest any of you here think that we together as a congregation are not candidates for a message on selfless love, that perhaps we have conquered selfishness in our life Let me express to you what selfishness is within the Christian lifestyle by sharing with you something that I have kept for a long time since I was a young teenager. It is an extract from a tract called The Traits of the Self-Life from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, the Western tract mission. And This is what it says, The Traits of the Self-Life are you ever conscious of a secret spirit of pride an exalted feeling in view of your success or position because of your good training and appearance because of your natural gifts and abilities an important independent spirit stiffness and preciseness are you ever conscious of love of human praise a secret fondness to be noticed love of supremacy drawing attention to self and conversation a swelling out of self when you have had a free time in speaking or praying? Are you ever conscious of the stirrings of anger or impatience, which worst of all you call nervousness or holy indignation? A touchy, sensitive spirit, a disposition which dislikes being contradicted, a desire to throw sharp, heated words at another? are you ever conscious of self-will a stubborn unteachable spirit an arguing talkative spirit harsh sarcastic expressions an unyielding headstrong disposition a driving commanding spirit a disposition to criticize and pick flaws when set aside and unnoticed a peevish fretful spirit a disposition that loves to be coaxed and humored are you ever conscious of a jealous disposition a secret spirit of envy shut up in your heart an unpleasant sensation in view of the great prosperity and success of another a disposition to speak of the faults and failings rather than the gifts and virtues of those more talented and appreciated than yourself are you ever conscious of a dishonest deceitful disposition the evading and covering of the truth the covering up of your real faults the leaving of a better impression of yourself than is strictly true False humility, exaggeration, straining the truth. Are you ever conscious of unbelief, a spirit of discouragement in times of pressure and opposition, lack of quietness and confidence in God, lack of faith and trust in God, a disposition to worry and complain in the midst of pain, poverty or at the dispensations of divine providence, an over-anxious feeling about whether everything will come out all right. Are you ever conscious of formality and deadness, lack of concern for lost souls, dryness and indifference, lack of power with God? If so, you have some of the traits of the self-life. I am tempted to stop here and ask if there is anybody who moved through that unscathed, would you please stand? I would like to know you. I would like to talk with you. I would like to examine you. (laughs) It got us all, didn't it? There is some selfishness in each of our hearts, but the Bible says that God's kind of love, agape love, does not seek its own. Now the phrase in the book of 1 Corinthians comes from two Greek phrases meaning to seek And one's own interests so literally the phrase means to always be seeking your own interest and obviously we take from that the concept of selfishness the RSV translates the phrase like this love does not insist on its own way the Phillips translation reads love does not pursue selfish advantage And the New English Bible says, love is never selfish. And I personally believe that here in this point in the chapter is the key to everything that we have and will study. The root of all evil in human nature is the desire to have one's own way. The exact opposite of agape love is self-centeredness. Agape love, as you remember when we began the series, is love that seeks the best interest for the one loved. Selfishness seeks the best interest for one's own self. And so the two are at exactly the opposite extremes. They are polarized in a human being it is not possible to have agape love and to have self-seeking or self-interest they do not come together at any place on the continuum they're totally at the opposite ends R.C.H. Lensky, the well-known commentator has said if we could cure selfishness you have just replanted the Garden of Eden Oh, he was telling the truth for it was selfishness that caused Adam and Eve to reject God's way in favor of their own desires self replaced God in their hearts and they determined to do their own thing love on the other hand is not interested in its own way but is preoccupied with the interests of others now once again when Paul writes this to the Corinthians he's talking to the right congregation he's talking to the right people because the Corinthians were a living illustration of what love should not be. And especially here at this point of self-centeredness, they scored on every point. Uh, For instance, they were selfish in the absolute extreme nature of the word. They did not share their food at love feasts. Every time I read that, I can already believe it. Here's a love feast where they won't share with each other. And some of them came early so they could get all the good food and beat out everybody else who might come late. And then this same group of people protected their rights to the point of suing believers in court. They went to the pagan law courts to get what they felt was their own. And they jeopardized the testimony of Jesus Christ in front of all the Corinthian pagans just so they could have what they said was theirs. And then when it came to spiritual gifts, they didn't even leave self-centeredness out of that They wanted to talk mostly about who's got the best gift And if you've got the best gift, how can I get the gift you've got? I want the best gift And that's why they got into all of this stuff about tongues and Interpretation and speaking in tongues and jumping up in the middle of the service and talking when other people were talking And Paul had to tell them, God does everything decently and in order now don't do that In fact, I was reminded that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, just one passage over, we have his admonition to them about selfishness in gifts. He says in verse 12, even so you, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, and he's saying, I understand that you're zealous to get the gifts, but watch this now, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. In other words, he's saying don't be so zealous of the spiritual gifts that you forget the purpose of the gift Which is to build up the body you're out striving to get the gifts you're jealous and self-centered in the gifts You've forgotten the whole purpose of gifts is to minister to one another And so he encourages them to stop using their gifts for other purposes than to edify the church They were self-centered selfish people and paul wrote to them and he said love god's love does not seek its own interests it's interesting to me as you read paul later on and he's writing his swan song to timothy the last letter that comes from his pen before he dies second timothy chapter three verses one and two he's describing for timothy what it's going to be like in the end times and here's what he said this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves Covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy all of those characteristics come from the root of self-centeredness And I've grown up in this generation so it's the only one I can uh, pronounce any judgment on as a preacher And I'd have to say that if there's ever been a generation that's been more me centered I'd hate to have lived through it Have you ever seen a time as you study history when people have been more committed to doing their own thing? And the ego-driven men and women think of themselves as supreme and all others as nothing. They actually put it in print. They tell you that you can intimidate others right out of your life as you crawl over them on the way to the top to achieve your own goals at their expense. And the phrase, do your own thing, has all of us in this modern culture dominated by individual rights and demands. We're living in a world that teaches that a man has the right to do whatever he pleases regardless of how it affects others just as long as he gets his own way and his goals are accomplished. Liberties have become licensed to sin and hurt others. But Paul jumps on that doctrine with both feet and he says love is not like that. Love does not seek its own. Love considers the other person and gets excited about seeing that their needs are get met I suppose I could stop here and give a marriage seminar because obviously here is where most marriages are in trouble I don't do a great deal of counseling but what little counseling I do with married couples who are in trouble this is the root of the problem this is the root of the problem in parent-children relationships this is the root of most of the problems in education this is the root of business relationship problems here at this passage here at this point we are touching the hot button of human relationships in our culture today and we are zeroing in on the major problem the major problem is man-centered ego driven individuals who have not learned how to be selfless there are many illustrations from the bible that we could use to demonstrate the selfless characteristic I think uh, for instance of Abraham and lot in the Old Testament book of Genesis and we don't have time to turn to it but you know the story it's in the 13th chapter of Genesis they both came out of the land with herds and flocks and God blessed Abraham and lot and their flocks grew and their herds grew and finally their Shepherds got together and said this isn't going to work. We got to have more land We can't graze our flocks together. So lot talks to Abraham and Abraham says I'll tell you what lot You just take your choice of whatever land you want and I'll take what's left If Abraham had been allowed to live in this generation He would have been counseled by people on every side to go out and review the land get the best for himself after all he was the uncle and then when he got done and had taken care of his needs to let Lot have what was left. But Abraham knew that love does not seek its own. And he let Lot take the first choice. And of course, Abraham was absolutely right in doing that. And God prospered him. And you know the story of what happened to Lot. I think of David in First Samuel chapter 24. David, who was destined by prophecy for the throne of Israel, he knew that one day it would be his. All he had to wait for was for Saul to get out of the way. And one day he had Saul right where he wanted him. He had him in a cave. Saul didn't know he was there. He had his knife. He could have taken Saul's life and had been the king. David didn't seek his own. He scared the daylights out of the man by cutting something off of his robe and showing him later that he had the opportunity to kill him, but he didn't do it because he was willing to wait on god's plan for his life obviously as in every situation in this chapter jesus christ is the great example and i don't have time for us to go to philippians two but if you want an illustration of what it means to be selfless read the great kenosis passage in philippians two about jesus christ who thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself and served and even went to the cross and if that's not enough to illustrate that from his life then go back to John 13 and watch Jesus as he puts on the robe of the servant and washes the disciples feet and if the two of them combined aren't enough just read through the gospels and you will see him over and over again not willing to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many you see the opposite of selfishness is service Don't ever forget that. It is not possible for a person to be neutrally selfless. Immediately, when you deny selfishness in your life, you are thrust into a ministry to somebody someplace. You cannot be alone and be selfless. In order for you to be selfless, you have to be involved in the lives of other people, giving yourself, ministering, giving up your own rights in their behalf. Paul said it in 1st Corinthians nine nineteen. he said though I am free and belong to no man I make myself a slave to everyone that I might win as many as possible that's what it means to be selfless and you know I don't want us to get so culturally oriented that we forget this is a good principle to operate within the church this is the principle that will make a church healthy the principle of selflessness that causes each person to look around and see where they can invest themselves not out of a desire for gain or reward but so that the purposes of god can go forward as they give themselves to the ministry love does not seek its own i've pondered how could i best teach this There are so many passages to which we might turn But I've decided rather than do that, to illustrate it. Perhaps if I can illustrate what it means to be selfless, we can go away from here with something which will stick in our hearts and motivate us to be like that. I'd like to share with you, first of all, the principle of selflessness in the home. I don't know if you watch pro football, but if you do, you've watched a a modern phenomenon that no one is quite able to explain. It it is the phenomenon of the athlete who scores the touchdown, kicks the field goal, intercepts the pass, or makes the game-saving tackle, and goes over to the sideline, and the cameras come in on him, and he's full face in the camera, and he always says, what, hi, mom, right? I don't think that's fair. You know, I have never one time seen an athlete say, hi, dad. But you know why he says, hi, mom? Because in my estimation, the greatest evidence of selflessness that I have ever witnessed, I have witnessed in the life of my own mother and in the life of my wife. I believe that motherhood is the greatest call to selfless living that there ever has been and, and you know it sometimes is without reward i'm sure some of you mothers will identify with this and you know i have watched and i have participated and sometimes i've helped and when donna's been gone i've had to do it all the routine that mothers go through do you know that gets old my life is filled with change and excitement and different adventures lots of problems but usually never the same one twice but a mother washes the same dishes every day puts them back in the closet only before she can get them all dried to see the kids walk out and get them out and get them all dirty again the other night i took it upon myself to clean up the kitchen i had the kitchen spotless you know when i clean i clean with more enthusiasm i get everything i just you know use all of my strength to get everything exactly and i was so proud everything was just shining Before I could walk out of there, a peanut butter sandwich was made on the table, and it was all over the table, and I just walked out and walked away. And I thought to myself, that's what my poor wife goes through every day of the week. She can never get ahead. She can never get the work done. And I suppose the most frustrating moment I have ever seen her experience as a mother was the day she was washing the dirty clothes, having asked the children to clean up their rooms, Which was a very good suggestion. (laughs) And so hurriedly they had cleaned up the rooms, and when she went out to wash the clothes, I came out and she was in tears, and I said, Honey, what's wrong? She said, Look at this. All the clean clothes that she had put in their room yesterday somehow had got mixed up with the dirty clothes, and they were back out where the wash goes. Oh. I've had some ladies tell me that is the worst moment of motherhood they have ever experienced in their whole life It makes you want to walk out the door and never come back And I have been guilty of that as a son and now I have watched it as a father motherhood And yet you know what they do they just keep right on coming back over and over again to minister and to give themselves to their children Isn't that true? That's what my mother did for me That's what I watch my wife do for our children. And most of you women are right there. You understand it. Selfless love.
1: And you know what? The the word that uh, comes to my mind when I hear us talk about this is the word sacrifice. To be selfless, you have to be sacrificial. You have to care about what others need more than you care about what you need. You give up what you want to do to help people do what they need to do. It's a constant challenge throughout all of your life, especially during the parenting years. We'll have more about this tomorrow uh, with part two. Uh, I want to mention to you that we're going to the Caribbean uh, at the end of this year. And this is a wonderful opportunity for you to bridge the gap between 23 and 24, thinking about what God has done for you in the past with gratitude and making some changes and goals for the new year. Uh, We'll be leaving uh, from Fort Lauderdale on the 27th of December and returning on the 7th of January, visiting some beautiful ports of call. Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, the Martins will be with us. You can come with us too. Find out about it at davidjeremiah.org. And uh, please join us tomorrow for the next edition of Turning Point.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Power of Love, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call us at 800-946-4300 ask for your copy of our inspiring 14 month calendar for 2024 focused on God's enduring faithfulness the unchanging promises of God it's yours for a gift of any amount you can also purchase the Jeremiah study Bible in the English standard new international and new King James versions available in your choice of handsome cover options Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.
3: If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, living the 66 books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. A recent ad for a luxury car had a simple three-word headline,
1: Thou shalt covet. To understand the ad, you need to know that the last of the Bible's Ten Commandments says exactly the opposite, thou shalt not covet. It's another example of how biblical literacy is expected in our culture. If you don't know the Bible, you can't understand a lot of what is said in the modern world. The Bible is the most influential book in world history. And not just because it helps us understand car ads, it also helps us understand how to discover the eternal life God created us to enjoy. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's
2: Bible on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.